Well, Merry Christmas, City Life Church, and happy birthday, Jesus. Amen? Friends, this is one of the happiest days of the year. This is the day that we celebrate that a Savior has come, that the Savior has come, that our Savior has come, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? My name is Gavin. I am uh, one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're in the room. I realize some of you are here because you love Jesus. You worship Jesus. You're here to celebrate Jesus because you know that he is Savior, Lord, God, King, Christ, the Messiah who has come. He is your Lord and Savior. And if you're here for those reasons, that's why I'm here. And I want to say welcome. That's what we are here to do. I realize that some of you are here because maybe you're just curious about Jesus, or maybe your mom made you come, or you get no ham tonight. Maybe you're here just uh, paying your religious duties, and we haven't seen you since Easter. If that's the case, I'm glad you're in the room. You're welcome here. Jesus loves you, and I'm praying that he would open, his, open your heart and that he would save you this evening. No matter why you're here, you're going to hear this evening about Jesus, because friends, Christmas is all about Jesus. And I'm going to preach from the Bible, and the Bible is all about Jesus. And this year, we're going to be looking at a passage, get this, written some 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus. But it predicts Jesus. It describes Jesus in extraordinary detail, and it still has a lot to teach us about Jesus some 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus. In fact, our passage that we're looking at tonight is one of more than 300 different, more than 300 uh, different Old Testament passages that speak, that foretell, that predict, that prophesy the coming of Jesus long before he came. Many of these passages disclose striking detail with precise accuracy about the events that would uh, take place at the coming of Jesus Christ. If you think about this, whether you're religious or not, by the way, this is incredible. Think about this. Think about all the technological advances that we have seen in our lifetime. Just this year, we saw the beginning of recreational space travel. I own a robot vacuum that vacuums my house when I am not there. The majority of my Christmas presents this year were ordered from a small computer that I keep in my pocket, and they all showed up on my door the next day. This is incredible, but even with how far we have come, we have no way of seeing into, predicting, and foretelling the future with any sense of accuracy. But friends, we have a God who clearly sees all. He knows all, and he tells his people, he prepares his people for what is to come in the future. Did you know approximately one-fourth of the Bible was prophetic in nature at the time in which it was written? Much of which we celebrate tonight, the predicting of the coming of Jesus Christ. This tells us, number one, that God knows the future. It tells us, number two, that God controls the future. And it tells us, number three, that all of even the future is about Jesus Christ. Now, I want to get into tonight's prophetic word. We are going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9. This particular Christmas passage tells us about our topic this evening, which is going to be government. Merry Christmas. We're going to talk about government. Now, before your blood pressure goes up and you get stressed out, I did not say we're going to talk about politics. And a pro tip, maybe skip that topic over dinner tonight. But we are going to talk about government because, friends, Christmas is all about government. Let me show you Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for to us a child is born. Remember, this is written 700 years prior. To us a son is given. And the government 
shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, in every chapter of human history, the human race has sought to form a government to foster and protect human life and flourishing, but has invariably fallen short of this goal. The ancient empires all rose and fell through bloodshed and brutality. The kingdoms of the Middle Ages and the divine right of kings proved to be only as good as the moral characters of the kings on the throne. The experiment of communism sought the benefit of the poor through governmentally forced sharing, but it resulted in economic, social, and moral disaster all over the world. I would propose that representative democracy is one of the best governments the human race has ever developed, but it is still imperfectly susceptible to the corrupting influence of sinful human hearts. As Winston Churchill cleverly and famously said, quote, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time, end quote. Some systems of government are better than others, but the underlying problem in all of them remains the same. Even in a perfect system, it will be corrupted by imperfect leaders. So our greatest need in government is not just a better system, it is a better leader. It is, in fact, a perfect leader. And here in the middle of human history, as humans sought to govern ourselves, God speaks in this promise from heaven that a new Government is coming. But this government isn't founded on a system of new ideas or a philosophy of economic equality or a principle of social policies, but it is founded on a person, a perfect person, the perfect person. Verse 6 tells us, quote, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What is clear here is that at the center of this new government is going to be a human person, the son to human parents, someone who is in every way like us, a child that was born as you and I were born to our mothers. But this passage also promises that this ruler, this person, will hold the weight, the eternal reign of a perfect, prosperous, and peaceful kingdom squarely on his shoulder. It says, what human, what child, what son born of a woman can bear such a weight and not buckle? Clearly not just any human, but a human who is also fully divine. This one verse holds out that the hope of the world is a king who would come, who is both fully man and fully God, the God-man Jesus Christ. He is the perfect king who would come to establish his kingdom. He is the one who would come to rule and reign. And 700 years after this prophecy, he is the one who was born in a barn to a virgin mother, savior of the world, fully God, fully man. In our verse, Isaiah prophesies four specific God-inspired names for this king that would come, four attributes that will be true of this king Jesus. And each of these four descriptors, each of these four adjectives, each of these four names, each of them couples together two truths about this coming king who would set up his government. One of those truths in each couplet is about his divinity, and one in each is about his humanity. He is prophesying that this one will be both supernatural and natural. 
He's giving us a picture of this kingdom, this heaven meets earth government that he came to set up. And with the remainder of our time, I want to walk us through each one of these four heaven meets earth pictures of this king who has come to establish his eternal kingdom. But before I I jump in, I want to press in just briefly why this matters for you and for me. Jesus came not just to set up a kingdom that we will one day experience in heaven. He also came to establish a kingdom that begins now. It exists in our hearts and in our lives, and it exists among us. The kingdom is here. And when Isaiah talks about a government, he's not just talking about the governing of many. He's also talking about the governing of our hearts as individuals. Friends, each one of us is governed. We are led by someone or something, even if that king of our hearts is named King Self. Some of you have sought to govern your own life. You're under the government of self. You have sought to be your own king, to rule and reign, to call the shots of your actions, attitudes, and behaviors, goals, dreams, priority, steering values in your lives. But friends, time only exposes our inability to serve as our own kings, to govern our own lives. Time exposes that living for the next trip or the next trinket, chasing comfort or significance, approval or prominence, extravagant fame or simple obscurity. It doesn't matter what our ambition is, it all leaves us smiling on the outside but anxious, lonely, and lost on the inside. And if that's you this evening, let me just tell you, Jesus is the king that your heart is looking for. He made his agenda clear when he said in 1 John, I came that they may have life and have it to the fullest. He is the only king who can know you and understand you as a human being fully himself, but love you and lead you into eternal life as fully God himself. So let's look at this king, this king who has come. Let's take a look at these four descriptions of this king who has come at Christmas. Here's the first one. Isaiah tells us, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. So here's our first couplet, the divine and the human attributes of this king who would come. We have the human side. Isaiah says that the coming king is a counselor. He's a counselor. What's a counselor? A counselor is someone who offers wisdom, who speaks truth into our lives, who guides us in wise direction. A good counselor asks good questions to make sure that they know you, that they hear you, that they understand you before they give counsel to you. And Hebrews says that Jesus is not unable to sympathize with us. In his humanity, he gets us. Jesus was a human in every way that we are yet without sin. There isn't anything, friends, that you go through that he doesn't know about, understand, or can't identify with. He is able to speak wisdom into our lives As one who has been there, he is a counselor. But on the divine side, Isaiah says that he is wonderful. Now, when Isaiah says that he's wonderful, Isaiah did not just pick a random adjective that is synonymous with good. Okay? In other words, he's not just telling us that Jesus is a terrific counselor or a fantastic counselor or a great counselor. The word translated wonderful specifically refers to this king's ability to work supernatural wonders, supernatural signs. Isaiah is speaking of wonder in the literal sense, that, he, that this king's transcendent godness 
his supernatural divinity, his miraculous abilities fill us with wonder. What Isaiah is showing us is that Jesus governs with the wonder-filling supernatural wisdom. He brings the wisdom of God and the intimacy of your closest friend who patiently and lovingly guides you along and speaks divine wisdom into your everyday life. This is the king who was to come. He is a wonderful counselor. Second one, he says, And his name shall be called Mighty God. On the human side, Isaiah is telling us that Jesus is mighty. This Hebrew word that is translated mighty here is commonly used for mighty men, men of war, warriors, men of military prowess. Someone who is mighty is someone who is able to defend and protect. They are full of courage and self-sacrifice. This coming king would be this kind of leader, a leader of courage, strength, and integrity. A leader who doesn't shrink back in the face of danger, a leader who runs into the battle, sword in hand, willing to die for those whom he protects in the cause that he serves. But friends, we know that even the mightiest of men die. The youth and strength of warriors quickly advances to scar tissue and arthritis. Soldiers die on the battlefield and their days of defending are no more. But on the divine side, Isaiah follows the word mighty with the word God. This coming king would be a divine defender, a man of courage and might, but without age and limitation, a warrior and a defender whose might never diminishes and whose courage never wanes, a savior that Revelation says will one day return to this earth on a war horse with a sword coming out of his mouth to slay our ultimate enemies of sin, Satan, and death once and for all. This is our king who would come. He is a mighty warrior. The third one, Isaiah says, he is everlasting father. Everlasting father. So on the human side, Isaiah tells us that Jesus is like a father. Now, we're all good Trinitarians here, I assume. And so we know that God the Father is our heavenly father. Jesus is his divine son. But nonetheless, Isaiah is showing us that Jesus, too, serves in a father-type role to us. That this king who is coming is someone who speaks identity into his family, someone who protects us from evil, someone who gives strength to the family, someone who takes responsibility for the well-being of the family and is there as our rock. That is a father. But how many of you know that even the best dads aren't there forever? Dads can fail us. Grandpas die. As much as a father is a sign of strength, even their influence is temporary. Yesterday we lost my maternal grandfather to Alzheimer's. We'll bury him next week. He was a, a, an icon of strength in our family. He was a leader in his own right, a source of stability in our family, but even his big-chested body and his large presence became frail and weak in the past months. And yesterday at 740, he breathed his last. We'll bury him on Wednesday. He was a father, but not an everlasting father. But Isaiah says, on the divine side, Jesus is like a father who lasts forever. 
With this father, there's no expiration date for his presence, no funeral to plan or attend. He is an everlasting father. So this king who is to come, he leads us with a father's heart. He takes responsibility. He leads sacrificially. He defends courageously, yet he loves tenderly. And his fatherly love for us never ends. This father king had one funeral already, and he ruined it himself three days later. He is now alive. He is alive eternally. And there will be no sad goodbyes or tear-filled funerals for this father. We have a king with a father's heart who will live and lead eternally. This is the king who was to come and set up his government, the last one. Isaiah says, and his name will be called Prince of Peace. On the human side, he's a prince. The Hebrew word here was a common title for a government official. This is someone who is entrusted to steward the well-being of others, someone with constituted power to make decisions and act policy and pave the way for the flourishing of those they represent, someone with the power and authority to bend the will of others by the very commands that they speak. But as we know in all of human history, this kind of ruling power has been perennially soured by the sinful heart of man. As the saying goes, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the more a government is centralized on one man, one prince, one sovereign leader, the more violence and bloodshed ensues. But he's not just a prince with power. On the divine side, Isaiah tells us he is the prince of peace. The Hebrew word here is shalom. Shalom means peace, wholeness, prosperity, safety, and welfare. Jesus holds all power and all authority. He makes the sun to rise and to set. He commands all the forces of nature. He is the leader of all leaders of the world. There is no higher ranking official, no commanding officer that he reports to. He is Lord over all. He is the prince. And as the sovereign one, uncorrupted by sin, this sovereign leader leads us to peace, to shalom. After his resurrection, Jesus tells his disciples in John 20, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And the greatest peace that Jesus gives, the essence of this shalom, is our eternal peace with God. By dying on the cross in our place for our sins, our prince, our leader, our sovereign one paid the price for our sins. Worldly princes punish lawbreakers. That's their job. But this divine prince takes on the punishment of lawbreakers himself so that we can be liberated and free. Jesus takes responsibility for our failures and took on the wrath of the Father in his body so that we could be at peace with God. And when Jesus comes back, we will experience absolute peace for all of eternity. There will be no more sin and conflict. There will be no more wars or violence. There will be no more anxiety or fear, no strife or panic attacks, no family drama or political disputes, but unending shalom at every level. It's a peace that's greater than our circumstances, bigger than any bank account, more lasting than the next election cycle. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty 
God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. City Light, this kingdom, this government is not a someday promise. It's a kingdom that is here. 700 years after Isaiah prophesied these words, this king was born. It was in a, in a, in a setting that no one expected, a small-town livestock barn. He was born to unlikely parents, unwed, an unwed teenage couple. His visitation list seemed rather unlikely, blue-collar shepherds working the night shift. In all humility, the king came. The God who made men became a man to bring men back to God. The king of glory was born in humility to meet us in our sin and in our broken humanity. This is the story of Christmas. The one who has come to save us. The one who has come to set up his kingdom rule for now into eternity. And friends, just as Isaiah predicted that this Jesus, this king would come, and he did, so too the Bible says that Jesus is coming back. And so we can believe that he will. And I want to ask you, are you ready for that return? Have you made the king your king? Friends, I need to tell you straight up, the worst thing is not to die. The worst thing is to die apart from Christ. To die apart from the wonderful counselor, without a mighty God, with no everlasting father, without a prince of peace. But Jesus' invitation is for all. Come and bow your knee to the king. Come and follow a better king. Come and receive the gift of the king, the greatest gift of all time, the gift of salvation. Incredibly costly, but free to you. It comes through faith in Christ alone. Friends, Jesus, this king loves you. He wants to welcome you. He is inviting you in. This evening, if you already know this king, Jesus, would you join me in being in awe and worship this Christmas? That this king has come, that he is coming again soon. Friends, all the kingdoms of this world will pass away, but his kingdom endures forever. Pray with me, Jesus, what a divine mystery, what a glorious gospel, what an eternal truth that you have been made known. Lord, this evening we rejoice that a government has come, that there is a king who is on the throne, who is available to all of our hearts. Jesus, we worship that when we were dead in our sin, we had a God who broke into our world and into our story to be a king. But he came as a humble baby, humbled himself to be born in a manger, entered into our world of sin and brokenness to bear in his body the payment that was due to us. Lord, we thank you for this gospel. I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know you as their king and their Lord, would you soften their heart, even as I pray right now, minister to them. I'm more convinced than ever that I cannot change a human heart, but more convinced that you can change any heart. That you take a heart of stone, you give us a heart of flesh. And so, God, would you soften hearts? Would you help everyone in the room to see the glory of Jesus, that he is the baby, the king who came, and that we would uh, rejoice in that and worship you. We pray in his good name. Amen.